2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. The world doesn't think that the gospel can change your life, but we know that it can. And that's why we want you to hear these stories, stories of transformation, stories of freedom, people getting free from sin and healed from sin because of Jesus. This is Death to Life. I start going to the gym more. I start to look at those pictures more. I start flirting with other girls more. Nothing actually happens with them, but in my mind, I'm like already out the door. Like I'm ready to just be done with this marriage. After he was living in the freedom, we were watching the sermon and he looks at me and um, he's just like, nah, dude, you're free. And that's all it took for me to be like, hold on a second. He says I'm free. Maybe I am free. 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 Yo, welcome to the Death Alive podcast. My name is Richard Young and today's episode is with my brother, Nate. I think last week... If, if the schedule gets messed up, don't worry about it. But Michaela is Nate's wife. And now we hear Nate's story today. Nate, what would you say your story is about real quick? Probably a little bit about affirmation and learning that I don't need it and who I am in Jesus. Mercy. So you're affirmed because you're in Jesus. You're not now affirmed by your job or your wife or how much money you have or whatever car you're driving. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Absolutely. Absolutely. Amen. So we'll hear about that. Uh, So let's just get into the podcast. So buckle up, strap in. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Man, this is real talk. God is loving on me. Colorful and innocent, that's on me. Got me standing in the light and it's on me. It's a new heart, it's a new beat, it's a new thing, it's a new seat. So I just did a podcast with your wife, what, two weeks ago? Something like that, yeah. What did she say about it? She honestly didn't know what to think. She thought it went okay, was her words, I believe. And (laughs) I thought, anytime she says it goes okay, that means it was pretty stinking awesome, so... Yeah, she said she doesn't even remember half of what she said. And I was like, that's because it was the Holy Spirit. So this is awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I just did a podcast a few, a couple months ago. 
Uh-huh. And I think the first time I recorded my story, I felt the anxious feelings or the nerves or whatever. Because right. like that was the first time my story was out there and I was telling all about, you know, all the stuff I've been into. But then when you think about it and you're like, this story is for other people. The story is for people to, to hear what God has done in my life. And you take it off of yourself. Um, man, what a huge blessing it could be. And that there's like this temptation to plan out everything you're going to say. Uh, and just like, yeah, I just, you know, I kind of re- just reject that, you know? Right. Because, no, nah, man, let's just let the Holy Spirit do its thing. And so, uh, Nate, let me ask you, man, where do you feel... How 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 much of the podcast have you listened to? Are you a listener of the podcast? I am. Um, I don't know that I've listened to a hundred percent of it, but if I had to guess, at least eighty five percent of it. And I haven't quite caught up yet, but no, it's all good, man. What episodes have resonated with you the most? Probably. Um, I know Caitlin's did very well. Tyler's. I've re-listened to yours and Tyler's, and um. Both of those have resonated with me. I'm I'm kind of an affirmation guy myself, or used to be, so definitely Tyler's for sure. And um, I like Jonathan's theology one. It's more interesting to me. I can't, I don't relate with it as well as it is just fun to learn about theology and stuff. Um, but yeah, the, those are pretty much it. Caitlin's hit me harder, I think, because her father had a lot to do with my walk at the Springfield Church. Philip Sizemore, he he took a part in my walk, so I think that's part of why hers kind of surprised me and hit me in a good way. That's interesting, man. Yeah. So what is it about the theology that you really like, or what about because you texted me a while back about learning Greek and like learning <laughs> just like uh-huh. you, you want a deep dive. What is it, man, you just want to know God's heart or what is it that, that um, has you so interested in the theology? I think it's honestly, I used to be into Greek and Roman theology back when I was in high school and not in the freedom scale. Greek and Roman history or theology? I guess a little bit of both, really. Like the mythology behind it with Greek suit or not Greek, um, Zeus and Hera and all that made up stuff, as well as the actual history of it too. So, and there's a guy at our church. His name is Paul, and he has been really, really diving in deep to the language barriers as far as Greek and Hebrew and to English goes trying to do some translations and it's just really piqued my interest to know more about how they walked back in the old Testament times, like how their relationship with God was before Jesus died on the cross, like how, how it all worked and the language barriers to all that. My freedom walk has been taking me to those levels because I just think that's where my mind goes. I want to I want to know and then there's a line between a relationship, I think, and knowledge and there's definitely you don't want to go too far into the knowledge because then you forget about the relationship aspect, at least for me with with hmm. Jesus and focusing on 
who you are in him as opposed to all the other stuff that goes along with it. Yeah, man. So where do you feel like your story starts? It probably starts around fourth or fifth grade. I have a friend, Blake Richter, who is still a friend to me today. And he was probably the first Christian guy that I ran into in grade school. And um, starts kind of there with a very unconfident, very emotionally uh, not sure of himself little guy. Um, And yeah, that would be probably where it would start. I'm trying to think. Um, Blake was just such a goofy guy and he brought out the best in a lot of people Um, and me included. He kind of I was very sports focused. As a young kid, my dad was into sports growing up, and that's just kind of how he knew to raise me was through athletics. Mm -hmm. So I played soccer, I played basketball, baseball. (sighs) Did I play anything else? I think I dabbled in hockey a little bit. I never did play anything competitive, but I dabbled in a lot of different sports. And... um, yeah, that was kind of where my identity came from for the longest time was that performance of being able to participate in a sport and do my best, whether I'd ever played it or knew what to do or any of it. So mm. Blake was kind of the first guy to show me that there's something more. And that kind of got me interested in starting to build that relationship with Jesus not having any clue what it looked like or, you know, even how to pray or anything, just saying like, hey, there's there's people out here that aren't jocks and don't want to just make fun of me to raise themselves up. <laughs> there's mm-hmm. people that want to build you up and encourage you and just be a good friend. So, um, yeah, that's where it starts. And um, he's actually a little bit in the end of it, too. But um, I'll go ahead and start from there. And the biggest thing that he taught me was um, just courage. Because like I said before, I was very emotionally just distraught. And a lot of that came from my dad and kind of how he treated me. And he wasn't a bad father by any means. He was just trying to teach me lessons as a kid, as any father wants to teach their son or their daughter to -hmm. do on those things. And um, he just came off very harsh a lot because I'm... What's an example of that? Uh, The biggest one is probably math, of all things. I'm terrible at math, and my dad is very good at math. And the schools at the time, I went to public school in Nixa, and um, they were teaching us math very differently from how my dad learned math. And so instead of my dad learning how the new concepts were, he just taught me what he knew. So I was learning two different forms of a subject that I really sucked at. And I still like, you know, I'm very blessed to have the phone I do and I don't have to really (laughs) do any math anymore or I, you can Google it or whatever. But yeah, he, uh, he did his best in teaching me, but because 
he was really good at it and I wasn't. We just didn't mesh with it. And so his anger would come out because we would sometimes sit there like two hours and I would still be on the same three problems because he would tell me something. And because of the emotional distraughtness, because this has happened multiple times at this point, like I'm already looking for him to blow up on me because he's done it in the past. Like I'm not even focused on five plus five or whatever. I'm focused on, I don't want to make my dad mad. I don't want to disappoint him again. And so therefore, you know, that was my focus and that's exactly what I did. And usually it would like, you know, I counted on my fingers and my toes because he didn't want me to use a calculator. He wanted me to learn and that's all good and well. But the second I would try to like hide it under the table or something and count on my toes and start using my fingers to get in the rest, Mm -hmm. he always knew and he would like grab my fingers and say, stop doing this. Use your brain. I know Mm -hmm. you have one or something along those lines. Like he would do it. He meant it in love, but it came off very derogatory towards me like you have a brain and you're not using it. What's wrong with you? Kind of a thing. Man. I think the relationship that we have with our father is so, so huge. And Uh it can jumpstart so many beautiful things in our life. And in the opposite way, it can be so hard. And hearing this, you know, talking about your dad, uh-huh. I know that I have done similar things with my son. Like with right. my daughter, she's my princess. And with my son, I'm like, well, I got to teach him how to be tough. And mm-hmm. as I'm growing in freedom and spiritual maturity, um, I talk to him differently. But I know I've probably said something that would hurt his feelings and make him a little nervous about me. And I constantly, I'm like, man, I was, if you saw me just looking down, my, my son yeah. is in Kansas city with my folks right now. Oh, and nice. I just messaged my mom cause she's watching them for, <laughs> for the week. And I just said, can you tell John, John and Noel, I love them so much. I just texted her because I know I've messed up and I'm, I, I'm right. praising God that even through that, like, you're talking about your dad and that he is a good father, but there was stuff that kind of positioned you and, and lack and, and, uh, sure, man, I've done that too. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. And I'm not a father yet, but I can only imagine that. I mean, every guy I've talked to ever, and we'll get to the father wound later on, but they, they do have that unless they've, exercised forgiveness over it or whatever the case is they've dealt with the father wound in some way shape or form and it's it's a big thing because yeah i mean stuff happens all the time that you know the dad's like oh i wasn't that hard on him but you don't know how the kid perceived it's the hard part and whenever emotions get in the way especially for kids and their fathers we don't always know how we come off that's what my wife tells me anyways. <laughs> it's true, bro. It's super true. So your dad treating you that way and talking to you that way puts you in a in a spot where you look down at yourself? 
I did. Yes, that is where I I mean my dad would say this if I asked him to his face cuz I have that um he kind of portrays a false confidence or he did up to a certain age until he he learned, you know, maturity as a man and um I kind of got that. I guess I'll call it a curse. It's not much of a curse, but you know that false confidence from him because he did not train me as a son in a way to bear confidence in who I was because he didn't have it as a kid. So I don't even think he knew exactly how to do it because if if you don't know how to do something, you definitely can't teach somebody else how. So with that being said, I was never taught until later on emotional stability and myself, like when things happen, how do I stay calm and or let my emotions free in a healthy way? Or, um, yeah, that confidence in who I was and, you know, a lot of that honestly came from work. That was that was my dad's big thing. He grew up a farmer and a very poor farmer at that. And work was just his thing. And that's kind of what he passed down to me for a little while there was um, <laughs> kind of like works, faith and works. You know, they go, they went hand in hand with me growing up. It was, if I wasn't able to work, I wasn't worth a whole lot. And it kind of went that way with sports. And by the mm. grace of God, I never really got injured in sports except for maybe twice. And it wasn't a broken bone. It was like a pulled muscle or something, which, you know, heals over time. But yeah, it was always, what can I do? What If I'm going to do this, what am I going to get out of it in return? Kind of a thing. And um, yeah, that's pretty much where my extremely low self-esteem begins because it was never bestowed onto me or encouraged. My mom... It is almost like a devil's advocate, and I hate to say it that way, but that's how it came to me as a kid. That's how I perceived it. Dad, I would do something to uh, make my dad mad, and I wasn't trying to, of course, but you know how the rules go. So I make dad mad with something I've done, and he gets on to me because, like you just said, he's trying to build me up. At least that's what he thinks he's doing, trying to build me up, Mm -hmm. strengthen me as a man to to walk as a man and to be confident myself. But in reality, I took it the opposite way. And then mom would come in and really just baby me to try to make sure I didn't hate either the world, my dad or my mom. So that way I still at least knew I was loved. And it was just kind of this roller coaster of, well, dad gets on to me and then mom comes in to try to fix things. (laughs) Hmm. It's kind of like the Berenstain Bears. I don't know if you remember that book series growing up. Yes, I actually do. (laughs) (laughs) Man, they made Papa Bear look like a mook. And Mama Bear was always the wisdom and always a smart one. And she would come in and Papa Bear is out here like... He's in some trouble with some bees or something like that. (laughs) And Sister Bear and Brother Bear are into some mischief. Uh And... uh, Papa Bear just messes it up, and Mama Bear has to come in at the end of the day, <laughs> and I'm just not sure that's it. I, I, it's not really a positive 
view of a father. No, um, un- unfortunately, not at all. It's uh, yeah. There's there are some positive views, but yeah, that that's not that one, unfortunately. So how did that uh, transition like to to high school? Like as right. you were going into high school? Yeah, that's a good question. So to back up just a pinch, after I meet Blake, I'm playing baseball, and my best friend's a catcher, and he introduces me to uh, that good old lust word, and that plagues me from about sixth grade, and then we get into the high school terms. But um, yeah, my dad in high school, I pretty well quit a lot of sports, and it's except soccer. Soccer was the one thing I, for whatever reason, didn't have to put a lot of effort into. I've I've always had broad shoulders, and I I never used them for football, so I ended up using them for soccer. I had to do a lot of running, of course, and my footwork wasn't great, but I could run really fast. So oh. I just played defense and knocked people over and then kicked the ball to the forward and let them take it away. But anyways, the the way that my dad treated me really didn't stop too much. The only thing that stopped it was me quitting baseball when I did. And because baseball was, I mean, if you can, this is, I'm actually in my old room right now. To my right, there's a little baseball shrine. And it's mm-hmm. not of me, it's of a bunch of Cardinals stuff. But that's just kind of where it was. And um, I was really good on the traveling team that I played on. So he expected that. But as soon as I got to high school, politics come into play. And I'm not a guy that's ever really cared about politics. So my dad offered to go to bat for me. And I told him not to because of all the things that had happened between him and I. But um, it really affected my confidence and being able to perform in the sport because I would always think any time a big play was coming up that you're just not using your head, Nate. Use your head and you'll be just fine. And then by the time I realized it, that moment would be gone and whatever I could have done, somebody else was having to track behind me to (laughs) take care of business. So... It definitely, it didn't end in high school. Um, If anything, it probably started to get worse. And it wasn't my dad's fault. I think it was puberty hitting me. And like I said, with that emotional stuff, I still don't know how to express this in a healthy way. All I know to do, honestly, is when it gets too bad, I either get a headache and take Advil or I cry it out in my room on my own. And, uh, yeah, that's really what I had at the time. Cause like I said, my, my dad still at this point hasn't really taught me what to do with any of it yet. And so it comes out with either sports or work. I mean, I got my first job before I could drive and my dad took me there. It was a mowing job. And uh, one of the big memories him and I have together is working on this old blue Chevy. I don't know if Michaela talked about that at all. Probably not. But um, he bought this when I was younger to use it for his work. And eventually he got his own work truck and it just sat in the garage for a while. 
Well, mm-hmm. I continued to do the mowing gig because it was it was fairly easy money. You know, mowing it's not hard work. You just have to show up basically and do it. Um, I used that truck. But by the time he was done with it, because of its age and he didn't properly go through the engine, it was pretty much time to start doing some stuff to it. And so that was kind of another avenue where at the time he would yell at me about stuff again because I would try to understand something and I would be willing to do the work, but I couldn't do it to his standard. And so therefore in comes... You know, and he wasn't even that much of a bad guy about all of it. It was just the way I perceived it, because once again, I don't even know what to do with myself because I'm just emotional and don't know how to handle it. (laughs) I I learned how to handle it later, but it's not in high school, (laughs) unfortunately. Hmm. So, yeah, it's... I still don't see Jesus very well. I'm still searching. I do a lot of church hopping as I'm younger. And I did forget to say in the beginning, I grew up a Lutheran. And I stay a Lutheran for quite a while in my story. So then, when you graduate from high school, mm-hmm. and, you're, and you're heading off, what was your view of God? Honestly, I think I had kind of a soldier's view of God. That was right around the time that Captain America had come out and all that, you know, oorah craziness happened. And um, I thought for sure that I knew exactly what justice was. I knew right from wrong. I had it all figured out in my head. Because, you know, I have this good person, my mom, who teaches me all this stuff. And then in my head, my dad's okay, but he yells at me a lot. And so what he does is just bad, usually. So I think I've got this perception of right and wrong and what needs to happen and how to treat people. And so that's how I see Jesus at this time is honestly kind of a tyrant. He comes in to save me when I need it, but otherwise he really just doesn't care about me that much. I'm not worth his time. If I'm not doing it his way, he'll just swap me aside and say, oh, well, come back when you want to be my son again. Hmm. Kind of a deal. So, yeah, it was something like that. Yeah, I just didn't have didn't have it. I didn't know what to do with myself. And I know I keep saying that, but... Yeah, it was very confusing times for me. <laughs> what about what about how you were living? Were you good with how you were living? Did you feel like like you were talking about in the sixth grade? This uh, you probably get yeah to see some porn for the first time, and then you're running yes, with that. that um, was... How did you feel about the way you were living when you're graduating and going? Very disgusted. I mean, it's. I've heard it said before that while you're in that moment, and those of us that have struggled with this know what I'm talking about, it's like somebody else is driving the vehicle. It's that double-mindedness, right, where you're doing what you don't want to do, but you almost like you need that drug in your head, that endorphin flow or whatever that chemical is that goes through your brain. You need that for a second because you're so down on yourself 
that you need that quick fix to allow you mm-hmm. to feel a little more confident in what you can do. And even though it comes from a really dirty place and it's a terrible counterfeit, it still does something for you. At least you think it does. So therefore, like before a big soccer game, you know, or whatever, I would come home real quick, take care of business, so to speak, build up my confidence in a very bad way, and then go perform well because it's like I'm a man now and I can do all this and, you know, whatever. I I have that false confidence. That's what produced a lot of that within me. But you still knew it was wrong. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And I didn't know how to stop. I um, I talked to some friends about it. I don't think my mom comes into the picture with it until later. But I really wanted to tell my parents, but I wasn't sure how to bring it up because I really thought I was going to disappoint them with it. And... um Turns out later I did talk with them about it and it wasn't disappointing. They weren't very surprised. But um but yeah, I mean I knew it was wrong and I just couldn't stop there for a while. I mean it it plagued me for for quite a while, really, just because it's that quick fix, right? Like you don't have to do anything for it. It's just there. You click a couple buttons. A lot of us have it on our cell phones if if you're into that and it's just so so easy and anytime you're feeling down it'll it's like a drug you know it'll boost you up for just a little bit and then you're right back to square one as soon as the works wear off so did you have any strategies for getting over it or were you just like ah i don't know. <laughs> I I didn't know at first, but I did have a friend that put an app on my phone. Um, I asked him to do it, and then later, of course, found a way around it because I wanted it so badly. But I went, it was, oh, what's that word I'm looking for? Accountability. It was like yeah. an accountability partner. I tried a couple of those at first and um, just realized... <laughs> I was a big fat liar, essentially. Like, I was really struggling to be honest when things would happen because I I wanted to be perceived as this guy that knew he had an issue but was actually going towards a solution as opposed to, you know, two steps forward and one step back, or maybe I said that backwards. Anyways, yeah, I wasn't getting anywhere. (laughs) It's interesting that... Accountability is good. Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely. And I have people, I don't think I call them accountability partners, but they do hold me accountable. Uh Uh-huh. But they don't hold me accountable on whether, like, Richard, have you looked at any porn this week? (laughs) Or, Richard, have you yelled at your wife? It's more like, Richard, do you know that you're the righteousness of God in Christ? Do you know that you are... No longer a slave to sin, but you are actually a slave to righteousness. And if they see something in my life that doesn't match up with that, they'll call me on it and they'll be like, Richard, man, why are you getting angry? (laughs) And it's and I'm other people's accountability. Um, but it's not, it's not about lying. 
Because like what you're talking about before, uh-huh. if you had an accountability partner, you wouldn't want to let them down and let them know, oh, I did mess up this week or something like that. Right. And so it just builds this lying thing, but now it's kind of different, right? It's so different. I mean, it's just, if we're talking about today, it's gone. Like, I don't, I may think about going back to it every now and then, but then it just doesn't happen. Like, I couldn't even will myself to if I wanted to, just because it's so, so dead to me. I mean, I I delight in my wife and the real stuff, like that stuff just is, is garbage. Straight, straight garbage. Yeah, and just like the accountability, it's a good idea. Absolutely. But, when But it doesn't it's not the it's not the solution. It's a band-aid on a bullet hole. That's a really good way to put it actually because like what you were saying earlier with, you know, you know you're righteous, Richard, which which we both are, but that's a totally different approach to calling somebody out as opposed to Hey, bro, did you watch porn today? And if you did, then, well, what's going on? Why'd you do that? Because you're identifying them with their problem at that point, as opposed to saying first, hey, you're a son and you're loved and you're in his righteousness. Like, okay, well, you made a mistake today, but that's okay. Like, you're still a son. What happened? You stumbled a little bit. Like, it's going to be okay. Yeah, man. And... Totally you know, different approach. If if we continue to practice sin, like John 8 says, if you're practicing sin, you're a slave to sin. Uh-huh. And because we are slaves of righteousness, we don't have to. So That's right. We don't have to Amen. sin. So the question is, like, if you're ever feeling these things, and if you're going back to a former pattern, do you have people that love you and are like, hey, man, you're you're this you're that like do you have the church around you you know what i'm saying i do and i do to an extent honestly it's mostly my wife who just loves on me all the time i uh i've kind of realized through my walk in this freedom that you know the church is awesome but my wife is the only person other than the holy spirit that i really need to call me out on that stuff because she's the one closest to me. She sees me every day and because she has changed so much and is so different, she always calls me out in a loving way. Kind of like what you were saying earlier. I've got one good buddy, Brandon Oliver, which you know about him. Um, He, he'll call me out sometimes, but (laughs) I mean this in love, Brandon, if you listen to this, but he kind of redneck calls me out, so to speak. <laughs> what is a redneck call out? <laughs> he, he takes like five words. He's like, hey, bro, what you doing? You a son. Like, come on now, bro. <laughs> Quit doing that. <laughs> it's, it's very short and to the point. I mean, he, he loves me to death. Don't get me wrong. But every time it just cracks me up because, I mean, he's just not a speaker and he does the best he can with his words. But... He, uh, yeah, it's it's so funny. I like the redneck call out. I think I'm gonna try that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, boy, what are you doing? You a son? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Come on, boy. <laughs> I like that. So, what happens after high school as you go into college, man? 
Well, I I got the patriotism bug, and I almost joined the military right out of high school. And my mom, and her teaching patient, she was a teacher, um, said, "Okay, son, I'm not telling you you can't join the army, but I do want you to do one year of college, and to see if that changes your mind." And so Nixa, and I think most of Missouri, maybe. At least in the Ozarks, we've got this thing where if you maintain like a C plus average, which is about where I was, I'm not a very good student, um, you get an A plus scholarship and you get to go to OTC, which is a technical college for free for two years. They pay your way for two years. And then that way, if you decide you want to go further at OTC, you can and, you know, become a welder or a cosmetologist, something that's only going to take another year, or you can transfer out and go to a state college somewhere. So I did that for a year, and about halfway through, I just couldn't stand it anymore. I ended up enlisting into the military. I went and talked to some recruiters and... uh you know, they, they said to pray about it. So I, you know, quote unquote, prayed about it at that point. I didn't even know what that meant. So I really just went home and did a bunch of exercises to think about it. And, um, yeah, I finished out that year of college at OTC. And then after that summer was over, I shipped out to the the National Guard and I went to South Carolina, Fort Jackson. Did that so for, the branch you were in the National Guard then? Yes, that's different from regular army. The training in general is not different, but the way it sorts out after the initial training is very different. I'm not there every day essentially. I whenever I was training, I had an eight year contract and six years was active, two years inactive. And the active portion means that I train one weekend a month and two weeks in the summer. And otherwise hmm. I go about whatever it is I'm doing, college or work or whatever. So I joined the military because I think that's going to help my confidence. And I get there and it does the opposite. It's terrible. <laughs> the recruiters did not tell me the whole truth about what was going on. I mean, to put it into perspective, they don't want you to take anything with you except for your social security card. I even know you need a driver's license so you can identify who you are. And um, I mean, that's pretty much it. The clothes on your back, like they give you everything else because once you sign that dotted line, you're no longer a human being. You, you belong to Uncle Sam after that. So it's, uh, they, they basically shave your head and, uh, make you shave and you just wear tactical boots all day long. <laughs> it's, it's really crazy. <laughs> so yeah, I do all that. And, um, day one, and I think they've changed this. Don't quote me on this, but, uh, they used to have this thing called a shark attack. And it's sort of just like it sounds. You've got your duffel bag. And I say duffel bag. It's, I don't know, probably four foot tall by a, like a foot wide maybe or something. It's a cylinder shape. 
you've got all your stuff in there. So your uniforms, your boots, your your gear, whatever they've given you, it's stuffed into that bag. Like your whole closet fits in there essentially. And um, they make you dump everything out after you've just packed it. And you get all these drill sergeants that just surround everybody and start yelling at you. And no matter what you do, it's wrong. And they yell at you for it. It's crazy. It's crazy. I think they've since changed that. But in the moment, I don't think I'd ever been so scared in my life because everything my dad had done to tear down my confidence unknowingly, of course, it that that was just the icing on the cake. Like, I was surprised I didn't just get paralyzed and not move. Like, I did do something, but yeah, it was, it was very miserable <laughs> for that short time span, anyways. That, that was so. How did you make it through the training, bro? Well, it comes down to they train you to basically not quit. It's believe in yourself and not quit. And that was the first time in my life because a lot of guys grew up in hard homes, you know, shootings around their house, fathers that aren't even present. So their training experience was easier, of course. But that is still probably the hardest thing I had gone through at that point because of all the emotional distress. Like I'd had some of it, but I still don't know what to do with it yet. So the emotional distress was, I I guess God knew that I needed to overload myself to a point to where I just learned how to express it because what my dad was doing wasn't helping And then about halfway through army training, I finally got to a point to where I started to let it go. And it was after, for whatever reason, in training, we had Sundays were, you know, relax day. It wasn't really relaxing, but that was the closest thing we had. So Sundays, for whatever reason, I read Exodus all the way through, I think, four times. And I think it's because they leave Egypt in that chapter. I was really drawn to Exodus. And um, I wanted to be out of the army as soon as I got there. But I felt this tap on my shoulder, and I'm sure it was probably Jesus, telling me, it's going to be okay, son. You just can't give up. You have Mm. to push through. This is for your good, I promise trust in me and just keep pushing. And so that's what I did. A lot of nights we would get woken up at like two in the morning and we'd end up on the floor doing push-ups. And I mean, it was just constant doing stuff you don't want to do. (laughs) Not eating and not sleeping and hauling heavy stuff on your back. Like that, that was the point that God was telling me, like, this isn't what you're supposed to do for the rest of your life, but this is what you need to learn how to have that emotional stability within yourself. Because I had to take it from one extreme where every little thing sets me off and I'm almost crying to knowing how to stand up on my own two feet and confidence because they, they basically batter you down so much 
that you have no choice. You either stay down where they've put you or you let them build you back up, which they don't build you back up as a son, of course, but you are built up as a person of sorts, I guess. So, How do they start building you back up? They basically teach you military doctrine as well as they make you strong or they make you smart. Because they there's this blue book. At least they called it a blue book. All it was was a blue cover. And um, it's all this military doctrine. So like how to wear your uniform, how to how to hang your clothes up correctly, how to fold your clothes correctly, how to do cadence, which is where you're walking in line with the soldiers and you're all in step and singing a song as you're walking to keep you in step, how to clean your rifle, how to do the hospital corners on the bed. I mean, literally everything's in this blue book. And as a unit, when they ask you a question, if you get it wrong... The whole unit does what's called a half right face or a half left face, and you start doing push ups until somebody answers a question right. And sometimes that takes like two minutes, and sometimes you're doing push ups until you're blue in the face. It just depends on who they decide to ask first and who's actually been studying and not just looking at their book falling asleep. So, yeah, that it, it was a ton of that. There was a lot of times where we would get to what's called the chow hall. That's where the food's at. And um, we were supposed to get breakfast, and they would be running behind. And I don't think I've ever tried to stuff my face so fast. They gave us three times 30 seconds to eat as much as we could. And then we had to go run somewhere, which meant most of us puked it right back up anyways. <laughs> but but yeah, that was that was definitely my turning point. And God really put guys in my platoon. You have you have a unit which is made up of platoons, and then that platoon is made up of squads. The platoon can run anywhere from I'm gonna say twenty to fifty people, give or take. And then there's lines, and those lines are your squads. My squad, I had two guys in particular that whenever I really, really needed a boost, they would give it to me. They would help me out just enough to where I would at least make it through the next thing so I could keep on going. Because there was a lot of times, as good a shape as I was in, that with all that weight on my back, I mean, I weighed 170 pounds after I was done. And I'm a comfortable, like, 190, 200-pound guy. <laughs> so yeah. I was very, very thin. But, yeah, it was it was just, I was a mess. And I came out of basic training. And you go to secondary school, which is where you learn how to do whatever job you chose. And um, that one was actually pretty easy comparatively to to basic but um but yeah that totally reshaped my personality to go from emotionally distraught to almost an overconfidence like people all of a sudden don't like me anymore because they build you up into almost this black and white person like that's the way you're thinking anyways like Richard, you could tell me the sky is blue, and if I disagree with you, I might say, 
I don't care what you say. The sky is green and there's nothing you can do to change my mind. And if you think you're going to, let's fight about it. Let's raise up our dukes and let's do this because I just know you're wrong. And even if I get my my butt handed to me, I don't care because I know you're wrong. It's that kind of overconfidence, you know, it's it's just crazy and ridiculous. If you're looking for community and you're growing in this thing, please, if you haven't joined our Facebook group, uh, the Love Reality Gospel Community, please join our Facebook group. There's so much on there. There's people testifying. There is, there's just so much encouragement and edification on there. So if you haven't already, please uh, just join us. The community is growing and growing, and we're seeing people's lives change through gospel freedom. So as you're in the military, you're doing this stuff. When do you, like, were you back in Missouri, or were you just... Yes. How did that go? I went to South Carolina for the initial, like I said, Virginia for secondary, and then my unit was actually based here in Springfield. Missouri. So yeah, I just lived at home and went to college and I got into such good shape after I came back. I was going to go do some action guy stuff is what they call it, like special forces type stuff. Uh-huh. That's what I was part of the reason I was going to college. The recruiters told me, hey, you won't have to work anymore at a regular job if you do basic then go to college afterwards because they knew I was interested in college and do ROTC, which is, um, oh, what does it stand for? Reserve Officer Training Candidate School, essentially. Mm-hmm. So it's where you go from enlisted to officer, which pays better. The job kind of sucks, but it pays better. So I had every intention to do that. And do all the cool guy stuff, you know, go get deployed, learn how to jump out of helicopters. I guess if I were to explain it with Hollywood standards, it'd be like being a Navy SEAL, but on the Army level. So it's a little different, Mm -hmm. but similar. And um, so I was training for that. But then God, (laughs) not God, the enemy, Satan kind of got in my head and he's like, you don't like these people telling you what to do. You need to do something different. And I agreed with it. And I finally got tired of all the rules, basically. So I did one semester of ROTC. And the major that was there, I just, for the life of me, I couldn't get along with him. For what I thought his expectations were, they were just too high. And um, with everything else going on, because as I'm going to college, like I said earlier, my mindset was super rigid. Like everything was black and white. You couldn't prove me wrong, even if I was wrong. Like I didn't think I could be proved wrong. I go to college and it really softens my mind. And it's just because of um, all the viewpoints that you tend to get from college for learning the humanities to social politics to, I mean, basically all the gen eds, they really Mm -hmm. got me to thinking like, okay, this world isn't as small as I think it is. There's a lot Mm -hmm. more going on here and I'm basically shoving it all away. 
and this isn't good. I need to change my mindset and allow some of this stuff in because some of it's really good stuff that can Mm -hmm. help me to just have good friends and love on people and encourage them and be the, I'm starting to get to the point where I know to be the person that God created me to be. I'm still Mm -hmm. church hopping and I don't know what that looks like, but I'm, I'm searching at this point. I'm not like, okay, I'm comfortable where I'm at and this is just where I'm going to stay. Like, no, I was, I, I'm still kind of technically a Lutheran, but I'm not really practicing it anymore. I'm, I'm really, really starting to search and understand God's love and what it means to serve for the purpose mm. of love, as opposed to, you know, the works, like I said earlier, where if I do something for you, what are you going to do for me in return? I'm starting to get over a lot of that stuff. So, so yeah, what happens next, man? Like, when, what did you go to college for? <laughs> That's a funny question. I had no plan, and my confidence in my plan was so low that a buddy of mine suggested forestry. He was really into trees. And so I just said, cool, bro. Sounds like a good plan. So I ended up going for this degree in forestry and I got a natural resources degree, but it wasn't my choice at the time. I just kind of chose it from the get go. I'm sorry. Let me back up a second. I was going for dietetics and Uh the classes were just very, very difficult. And like I said, I'm not a super studious guy. And they wanted me to get a master's degree. Well, I was getting C's in the classes I need to be needed to be getting A's in to right. maintain that GPA. And so they said, it'll be okay. It'll work out. And I'm like, no, I'm like two grades shy of where I need to be. And these are the easy classes. I don't know if I'm even going to pass the hard classes if I can barely do the easy classes. So that's when I switched to the forestry based off of a suggestion of a friend and um, that army training kind of kicked in and I just said, okay, well, whatever it takes, we're just gonna, we're just gonna push through this and make it work and see what happens. (laughs) So I did, I just bore down and I mean, I lost a couple of friends because I just didn't give them the time of day, but yeah, I did that in college And um, I forgot to mention in high school that whenever I got possession of that blue truck I was talking about, I uh, went into a cowboy phase. I don't you probably can't see that anymore, (laughs) but I was a soccer playing cowboy in high school. And once I got into college with natural resources, guess what starts to come back? The cowboy. Yes, absolutely. And with the cowboy actually comes some alcohol too, unfortunately. But um which in my health phase with the army, I'd given a lot of that up. It was a weird scenario. But anyways, because it didn't help with my running and my push-ups, like it was a very big detriment to all of that. And then I get into the the ag department and everybody's doing it. So I'm like, well, fine, I might as well join them. I'm getting a little more loose in my brain anyway. So let's party it up. I'm in college. I might as well. 
So with the cowboy phase coming back, also came the drinking along with everything else I'd already been struggling with. But yeah, it's uh, still a very big identity crisis. Is so did you graduate with a forestry degree? I did, yes. I don't know how, but I did graduate with a four-year degree, and I also have no forestry, minors. not four-year forestry. Well, yes, yes, the, yes. Okay, forestry is my minor, and natural resources would be the major that it all falls under. So, yes, I do have the degree, and it it didn't work out to do forestry, which is fine. But I started subbing later on, so. How, when when do you meet Michaela? When does that happen? Oh, yes. That is actually at the very end of college. I think, I'm trying to remember the time frame. I was like maybe a semester away from graduating. Maybe a little bit less than that. Somewhere in there. I was... So, let me just say this. Spoiler alert. What? She told us that it was on Tinder that you guys met. So, <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. <laughs> what was your mindset with being on Tinder? And like, were you like, t- talk to me about this phase in your life. Where you're like, I want to be with somebody. Or was it just like, I'm just going to be on Tinder to see what's up. Honestly, it was a mix of both because from... I'm trying to remember what age I was. Probably when I was 14 or 15, I knew I wanted to be married. I didn't know what any of it looked like because I was too young, but I just knew. And I think it was from watching all those crazy Disney movies. <laughs> but I knew I wanted to be the hero in my story and I wanted to marry the damsel in distress, which none of that happened. But <laughs> that's what I thought I wanted to happen. So. When I'm on Tinder, I'm only on there to meet these ladies. That's all I had in mind, to meet these ladies, go have coffee with them maybe, and just make a new friend. But I was so bashful and shy that I just, I couldn't hardly do it in real life. Like, I just couldn't muster up that confidence, because some of it left me with that new college mindset. I'd lost some of that false confidence at this point. So with that loss of it, I thought, well, shoot, Tinder's a pretty not invasive way to just say hi to a girl. So let's just, I know it's supposed to be a hookup site, but I thought, well, I'm different anyway. So let's just use this to meet new girls. So, so I had how many to, girls did you go out on a date with or hang out with before Michaela from Tinder? Oh, let's see. I think there was three. I think there was three, and um, we didn't, I mean, I think we went out on one date, all three of them, like, they just, it was very obvious from the get-go, I think one of them catfished me, (laughs) which is probably fairly regular on Tinder, I suppose, I don't know, but uh, yeah, I found three girls that were... I mean, like I said, I was on there to find friends. I wasn't on there to, you know, meet up and Netflix and chill, so to speak. That wasn't my goal. And I think that was everybody else's goal. So our goals were not lining up very well. (laughs) And when I met them, they were very confused that I did not want to do that. And so it didn't go very far. 
And as I understand, similar with Michaela, but what was different? Like it's she, similar. That's where her mind was at. But yes, uh, she spoke of God in the very first time that I talked with her. She hadn't gotten to the equally yoked part yet, which we'll get to down the road. But she did say that God was very important to her. And I thought, well, I'm on Tinder, but God's important to me, too. Like, what's going on, God? I'm confused now. <laughs> Is this her? I don't know. She seems she seems awful forward, but, you know, it could work, I guess. <laughs> She spoke her mind right from the get-go. <laughs> what did she say? What was she about? Was she just like... Well, she liked movies, and I liked coffee. And she hates coffee, and I didn't know that. So that was my go-to, because I was trying to be so into Jesus at that point. I was like, well, shoot, I probably shouldn't ask him out for a beer. Or that just seems really wrong, because I say I'm into Jesus, but then... If we go out and drink beer together, you just never know what's going to happen. So I would go for coffee instead because that seemed like the better thing in my head. And she was so blunt and honest. She said, well, I'll go with you to a movie, but I hate coffee, so we should choose something else. And I was so Hmm. attracted to that boldness of, like, this is what I want. And if you don't like it, then there's the door kind of a talk and I was just like well she told me what she wanted so let's see if we can if we can meet her there because I'm very uh, oh I'm looking for a word and I don't have it right now low on confidence and um, not stand like passive that's the word I'm Mm -hmm. looking for I'm very passive at this point so whatever she wants just for the chance to meet her I'm gonna probably do those things at least just to see if she's truly about what she says she's about Mm -hmm. so yeah it we had very different motives once again but the difference this time was is that i guess we're supposed to be together (laughs) because we are still (laughs) so how did that go how did the as as you guys are you know you get into a relationship we um, do. Our first date, I actually picked a movie in Arkansas on accident. I don't know if she told you about that. She mentioned it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, we were going to go see a movie, and I bought tickets online, and it, it was in Arkansas, so we had to pick a different movie because I, I messed it up. Do you remember that. the movie? Uh, scary Stories in the Dark, I think. We were into the horror films at that point. Okay. So I think it was Scary Stories in the Dark, and they didn't have it in Springfield, so we had to watch something else that was... I think we did find another scary movie, unfortunately. But, yeah, that was that was what we were supposed to see. And then it never happened because we weren't driving to Arkansas. But, yeah, we, we got into a relationship, and... Uh, she had another relationship she had to break off. And the first day that I actually asked her out, because I was very slow, and I'm sure she mentioned that, I did not just jump on it right away, so to speak. I uh, equally yoked was something that was very important to me. 
like I didn't know my standing with Jesus yet, but I knew with marriage, if we didn't both at least believe in God, now I didn't think about Adventism versus anything else just yet. Didn't even know Adventism existed, honestly, until I met Michaela. But um, I knew that a belief in God was very important. And so I waited for a while before I actually said, you know, Michaela, will you be my girlfriend? Because I didn't want to uh, jump the gun, so to speak. I didn't want her getting the wrong idea. That was what that was what my uh, myself told me, anyways. No wrong ideas. I really like this girl. I don't want her to think. I just want to Netflix and chill it up here. I want her to think uh-huh. that I'm a real person and that I care and that Jesus is important to me and the mindset that I was in. So that's just kind of where I was. And the day that I asked her to be my girlfriend, she had to go to one of her exes that she was hung up on. And by the grace of God, she did, in fact, end it with him. Because she came back that night and told me crying, like, I want to be with you. So I ended it with this guy and some things happened that I don't want to share details with you. And I just looked at her and I said, I don't need details. So Hmm. we're boyfriend and girlfriend now, huh? She was like, well, yeah, that's a yes. (laughs) So that was the start of our whole journey right there was it was it's just also surreal talking about it now that i mean it had to have been jesus because otherwise none of it would have worked out the way that it did so i want to jump to this thing like you guys date for a while you guys in you're you're sweet on each other Mm -hmm. um there's this thing where you decide it you know you're gonna get married uh-huh. But you have to be an Adventist. Was it tough for you? Was that whole Lutheran to Adventist thing a big deal to you? At first, I didn't know what it meant. I actually had a couple people that I had to talk to. One of them was a youth minister that had been giving Bible studies to me. I just texted him saying, hey, I like this girl, but she's a Seventh-day Adventist. Like, what in the world does this mean? And so he gave me this whole spiel in a text message about what the Adventists tend to do. I don't even remember what he said at this point. It was a long message. It could have been about something other than the actual Adventist movement. But anyways, I did that as well as as we were moving closer in our relationship, I went and talked to my pastor, my Lutheran pastor that I had at the time. I hadn't actually been in the Lutheran church a whole lot because I always knew Jesus had more in my life than what I was giving him credit for. I just couldn't, I was searching, but I still hadn't really found it yet. So in that searching, I was doing a lot of church hopping and um, I ended up at a non-denominational church for a while. I ended up at a couple different places in college that were, I guess, under the non-denominational banner. Ended up in another Lutheran student union. I actually sent her, I think, not union. 
did that for a little bit and um, still not really finding what I'm looking for. And so when I went to ask my pastor, he uh, he had this whole print off of like the Adventist core beliefs. And then I asked him the question, you know, why do we worship on Sunday when they worship on Saturday? Like, what's the difference here? Because I had been to a prophecy seminar already run by David Kleindienst, and uh, he, he'd he already gone over the biblical references, uh, you know, the Ten Commandments and all that, as to why things are the way that they are in the Adventist faith. And he got out a Bible, but he could not give me a straightforward answer. He And he couldn't find the answer in the Bible. I think he just flipped through a couple pages. And he went to whenever Jesus is resurrected. He said, well, Jesus resurrected on Sunday, and so we worship on Sunday to just give thanks that he resurrected. And I just said, okay, that's cool, but where does it say we're supposed to treat that as the Sabbath? Like, I don't, I'm still confused. And he really couldn't answer that. He didn't have, I mean, he'd already kind of pulled something out of a hat, so to speak. So after he couldn't answer that, and there was no biblical reference for it, I went back to Michaela and told her, and and so I just told her that, look, he couldn't give me a direct answer, and I see right here in the Bible where it says, Sabbath is the day of worship, says remember right next to it, like, I mean, that's good enough for me. So I think I'm just going to start going to a a Sabbath-keeping church. And that's when I started going to Springfield, because that's where Michaela had gone at the time. And that's when I meet with Philip Sizemore, because he's the pastor at the Springfield church at the time. So let me ask you this. So you're, you and Michaela, you end up believing, you know, you're, you uh, convert to Adventism, uh-huh. and you and Michaela get married. Yes. I want to jump to this part. Okay. How quick did the marriage start? Like, how quick did self-centeredness on both of oh, your parts come in? Oh, that's a good question. To me, it seemed like it was pretty right away, although in reality... It probably took six months to a year. Um, my my time's so distorted, it's hard to say sometimes. It felt right away, but yeah, I would honestly say it was closer to when her grandma passed. That um, it definitely, there was a lot of self-centeredness on both of our ends, and especially mine, because, I mean, her grandma died, and that was... Until that point, not that her parents aren't important to her, but she talked more to her grandma and connected more with her than she did the rest of her family. So when kind of, quote unquote, her person died, you know, I wanted to be that person for her and it just wasn't plausible. So, yeah, that would probably be when a lot of that started because she just went into this huge depressive hole and um it was it was almost like nothing i did was good enough or right and it wasn't anything she had done it was just her depressive feelings coming out 
and it wasn't supposed to be directed towards me, but <laughs> my emotional state said, oh, Nate, this is all your fault. Why can't you do anything right? Like, this is your wife. You're supposed to take care of her, and you're just not like, you, you piece of filthy trash. What are you doing? Like, figure this out or get out of get out of town, so to speak. And so then fighting started and you guys stopped getting along. Absolutely. Fighting started. We stopped getting along. Oh, how long was that? Trying to think. Probably six months. I don't think it lasted quite a year. It might have been closer to a year. It was between six months and a year, I think. I actually brought up divorce at one point. Like what what led you to be like, yeah, we're we're good, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> well, that lust problem that I was talking about from before, because we're not connecting like we had been before, grandma dies, depressive feelings and emotions, I go right back to it. Because I feel so terrible, my confidence is still terrible. Um, my dad's stuff on me is starting to come back and resurface because my, you know, the fruits of the spirit are not coming to me from Jesus. My cup's not overflowing yet. I'm kind of getting my cup filled from my wife, which all of us that have done that know that that's just not a good idea. So all of that's happening. And, um, I start going to the gym more. I start to look at those pictures more. I start flirting with other girls more. Nothing actually happens with them. But in my mind, I'm like already out the door. Like I'm ready to just be done with this marriage. It seems like a dead end. I think I've married a different person than what I have. She seems like she's different. And I'm like, okay. So I brood over this for probably a month. Before I finally came to her and said, I'm really thinking about divorce. And she was dumbfounded. Like she had no idea this was going through my head. I must have hit it a lot better than I thought. Because, yeah, she looked at me and just started bawling. And then I started bawling because I think I'm a, I uh, help people cry, I think. <laughs> Hmm. <laughs> I'm a sympathetic crier, I guess. So, so yeah. When she started crying, did you think maybe maybe this isn't the move? Or absolutely, she started to just say all sorts of things about. Well, what have I done wrong? Have I not been a good wife? I mean, I know my grandma died, but I didn't think we we're doing this bad, and. There was some other stuff that she said. None of it was towards me. It was all inward shaming herself almost. Like, why am I not good enough for you? Kind of inward shaming. So she says all those things. And of course, because I'm still feeling kind of emotionally pained, like she's still my wife and I still love her deep down. That hasn't changed, even though my outward feelings say otherwise. I immediately think, well, if she still loves me, then I should love her too, right? Like, maybe this isn't the end like I thought it was, and maybe even though there's a lot of pain here, we can start to grow and work through this. Like, I immediately changed my whole perception. 
And I don't know if it was her and her words or if Jesus just kind of took a hold of my head and said, smacked me up the face real quick and said, wake up. (laughs) This is your wife. Give her some love. Like, I'm not sure which one it was, but one way or the other, yeah, I realized how stupid I was for even thinking those thoughts, allowing that deception into my head, regardless of what we were going through, and knew that, hey, this is going to get healed. I don't know when, but we're going to stay married, and it's going to be good. So how long until... Jaja comes to your church. How long before, like, after this? Oh, let's see here. I want to say, like, six months, maybe? So, by the time Jaja shows up, had you guys been, after this big divorce question, had you guys been doing better, or was it just, we're going to be married, but it was a little bit more of the same? Uh, we would kind of wax and wane with that, honestly. We'd have some really, really good moments, and then, honestly, more of the same. And if I had to atone it to anything, it would probably just be the double-mindedness that we both had. We would claim that our cup was being filled from Jesus, and it just wasn't. Like... It was either filled from works with our parents or our parents' affirmation or affirmation from each other, what we could do for each other, that kind of stuff. So definitely still going a lot of back and forth. We really weren't communicating well. We were still really learning how to do that. And um, <laughs> now we over-communicate, which is, which is good. I love it. But... um but yeah, it was it was a little bit of both, honestly, as far as all that's concerned. So we heard in Michaela's podcast how she felt about Jager coming to the church oh, and yes. speaking up in this moment at the end of this service. Uh-huh. What were you thinking when all of this starts going down and your wife's reaction to that first time where Michaela's like pretty upset about <laughs> what what Jadra's saying and who she is. Right. Um, I just want to preface this with Jadra, you're my sister and I love you, but I <laughs> thought you were a depressed crazy pants whenever I first met you that day and she spoke up. I'm like, who the heck is this lady and who does she think she is? Just to say something after the pastor walks down the aisle. I'm like, sit down, you depressed crazy pants and get out of here. You really, you just thought this lady's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I was like, what is she talking about? She's stupid. Just leave our church. We're fine without you. <laughs> yeah, I was so, kind of mean in my head. <laughs> so when Michaela's like, who is like agreeing with those thoughts, you uh-huh. guys are just like in agreement. You're like, yeah, this is wild. Yeah, basically. I mean, we both thought, because I'm sure she said this already, but. Rodney and Shanna invited us over to her house along with Jader and her parents. I forget if Brandon was there. I think there was a couple I think this others. was the next week, right? The first week she said this thing, and then oh, the next week. Yes, you're right. You're right. So, yeah, we both thought the same thing. Like, what is she smoking, and do we get some, too? Because that's just crazy, and we don't understand it. It's so when you much... go over to the house, what what happened? Well, From we your vantage point. 
we went there to prove her wrong, of course. Like, the law is the law, and, you know, you don't need love, and whatever. <laughs> you don't need love. Right? <laughs> you just push through, and you're fine. There's there's no need for all this other stuff. Um, so, yeah, we go over there to prove her wrong, and it felt as though the Holy Spirit was there and somebody had brought a negative spirit because you could definitely feel a negative vibe in the room. And that's when Jadra immediately starts reading Romans, of course. And um, we were all fighting it, especially me. And I'm, you know, my quiet, reserved self, not saying a word, just basically internally speaking death upon Jadra and everything that she is saying. And my wife is looking at her with these almost watery eyes and she never cries. And so I'm like, oh, shoot, is somebody dying? Like, what's happening? My wife's crying. This doesn't ever happen. Mm. <laughs> so she's reacting that way. And I'm still kind of new to Adventism and I've been legalized just a little bit. Not a lot, but a little bit. And so I don't even know what to think about all of it. All I know is that her parents are hearing it and they're crying. My wife is sitting next to me and she is bawling, wanting more. And I'm just sitting there like, I I don't understand what's happening. Like, is Jesus coming back? I don't get it. <laughs> I, I was just like a stone. I didn't know what to think or how to feel it kind of went back into I guess combat mode so to speak like is something crazy about to happen do I need to prepare (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know how to feel to be honest because there's just so much emotion flying out around the room and like I said earlier I, I help people cry I'm a sympathetic crier but there's so much of that going on like I just I can't even sympathetic cry and help my wife or anything because I'm just, yeah, Jader's doing her thing and I'm like, we're dead to our old man. My dad's still alive. Like, what the, who, what? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense, Jader. I think you need to go back to to the Springfield Church and tell them because we're not ready for this. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I was, my, my mind was just crazy. I didn't know what to think. So so what happened after that, man? Well, my wife ended up getting free. It was very soon after that, if not basically right then and there. And then <laughs> she started trying to speak life over me. And I wouldn't have any of it. I was like, oh, great. Jader the kooky pants got to my wife, and now I have to put up with her trying to be nice to me all the time when I'm used to her being kind of mean to me a lot. You didn't believe that? What did you think had happened to your wife? Oh, shoot, that's a good question. I hadn't even thought of that just yet. She was speaking in freedom, but she wasn't... You know, we all know that the Bible says to cleave to your spouse, which we hadn't done a great job of anyways. But she would literally stay in. She had her closet, which is kind of her quiet place, which I'm sure she said something about. And she would be in there till like four in the morning sometimes just reading the Bible and getting as much information as she could. And so 
I didn't understand why she was doing that over coming to bed with me and just being with me. And then when she would speak life over me, I thought, well, what's what's going on here? Like, I, I don't understand why she's changed so much. It definitely seemed like something had happened, but I still wasn't real sure because my confidence in myself with the double-mindedness was still pretty low, honestly. Like, I just believed what other people said about me as opposed to knowing who I was and standing firm in it. I still wasn't quite there yet. It didn't happen until around eight months to a year. Like, it, she was very patient with me and just continued to speak life over me, even though I was like, you're kooky, just get in bed and lay down. <laughs> like, good night, Michaela. Leave me alone. I just want to drink my beer and work on my engines. You know, like I just didn't want any part of it. And so one day, skipping forward just a little bit, we're actually watching a sermon at Brandon and Jennifer's house. And Brandon had heard the message from Jadra, the brother and sister, of course, and he was living in that freedom. And so after he was living in the freedom, we were watching the sermon and he looks at me and um, he's just like, nah, dude, you're free. And that's all it took for me to be like, hold on a second. I kind of like and respect this guy. So if he says I'm free, maybe I am free. Like it really drove what something. What did freedom in me. mean to you? Um, it kind of meant. The Gospels, I guess. I mean, it's like it says in, is it Romans 6, 7, or 8? I forget which chapter. But we participated in his crucifixion. You know, we we participated in dying with him and being raised anew. So, like, our flesh is gone. Our fleshly habits, they died with Jesus and were raised in newness with him. Now, walking in that was a different story in the newness of it. Like, I had no idea what any of it meant. I was just kind of walking around saying, you're free. I love you. You're free. Like, just, <laughs> I was really weird about it. But, um, yeah, it. I had no idea what it looked like for the longest time. So, you were against this message. Uh-huh. When Brandon says, well, you're free. What is what starts to click in your mind like, I'm free, what does that mean? Oh, okay, I think I understand what you're saying. I knew at that point that I might have been free in the Gospels as far as what Jesus says about me. Like, maybe I am a son, and maybe everything he says about me in that book is true. And maybe all I have to do is believe that it's true. In order what, for what it made to be that true. click? Just him saying the words. It was it was that short for me. Like I must have already been very very close in my brain when he when he looked at me, looked at me straight in the face, looked into my eyes because I was debating if I was or not. They were talking about the sermon they were listening to, and he just looks at me and says, "No, nah, dude, don't worry about it. You're free." And I was like. 
maybe I am. Because that confidence level boosted within me. Did you, did after hearing Michaela and Jadra and now uh, her brother and his wife talk about this for a few months, uh-huh. did you find that you wanted what they were living in? Or oh. were you still like, just let me drink my beer and work <laughs> on my engines? I was still a little bit like that because God took that away from me later on with some health issues. Like I would get terrible bloat any time I would touch alcohol, whether it was the hard stuff or regular stuff. So I still do the engines and stuff, but anything else just makes me sick, like physically sick all of that stuff does so whenever i heard them say what they said it started to resonate with me as soon because it's still in my mind as they were saying it to me and then when brandon said what he said i was like shoot that stuff's starting to make sense and like having a father that loves me because my father wound is still there at this time That gets taken care of as I'm walking in the freedom. I forgive him of it later on. So, yeah, it it really starts to resonate with me as soon as Brandon says what he says, because it's already starting to dig into my brain a little bit. I'm starting to wonder. It doesn't sound like it sounds like like she was speaking life to you Mm -hmm. over a period of time. And it doesn't seem like there's this moment moment. It just seems like you're hearing it, you're hearing it, you're hearing it. And then there's this moment where he's like, oh, you get this. And you're like, maybe I do. Am I right about how this is is going? I did not have a big aha moment that I can think of. I'm sorry, I should have said that earlier. No, no, I'm just trying to hear the the story. Yeah, that... I wish I had a big aha moment. That would make it a lot cooler. But no, I. That's just kind of the way. Why my would brain that make works. it cooler? I don't. I guess I don't know. It like my wife's got the big aha moment, and it seems like a lot of other people, not a lot, but some other people I've talked to have it. And I just my brain doesn't work that way. I don't process the things that quickly. So is it better that there's a big aha moment or is it just that I, God is speaking to us over our whole lives, wanting us to understand these things and in some way, some people it's like this and other people it's like that. I think I see what you're saying and I think freedom is freedom and freedom is wonderful and awesome and however you get there is beautiful. Yeah. And so as you're saying, you know, you and I and a few other people have a phone call at some point because Mm -hmm. I think someone was saying that, like, sin doesn't exist now. And I was like, what? So I called you guys up and I'm like, hold up, bro. Like, we're free from sin. Sin still exists. You could participate in it. Don't. Right. But you could. You and you don't have to because you're free from it. Mm-hmm. And I think from what I remember, this was a big conversation and you guys were just learning and growing. Absolutely. As you're learning and growing, mm-hmm. what keeps what starts to 
to be presented to you as and and you're starting to see it differently um i think that would honestly start with my father wound and as i've i got i got free whenever i believed it whenever brandon told me i was and i believed it and then as i was walking in it i had kind of that stumbly phase where I think everybody else is free and I'm trying to speak life, even though it's <laughs> doesn't sound like speaking life, of course, right at first, because you don't know how to say it right at first. And so I'm learning how to speak it, how to walk it. And my dad and I, I'm, I'm falling kind of short on money at the time. And he offers me some yard work to just, you know, he doesn't need my help, but he's like, hey, if you do some of this, I'll give you some extra money. So I start doing it, and he gives me the option for some trees. I wanted two trees, one for my backyard, one for my front yard. And as he's getting the trees, I meet him to get the trees. We go back to my house, and we're planting them, and it's getting pretty late. Like, I couldn't meet him until after work, and that was around 5. It was fall time, so it gets dark around 7. So we're planting trees in the dark, and Jesus kind of tells me, this is a good time. You should tell your dad you forgive him. And it wasn't exactly like that, but something along those lines. And I'm like, no, this is my dad. Ah, That's okay. I don't need to do that. So that's after the first tree was planted. As we're going to the backyard, he says it again. Good opportunity, son. You should forgive your dad. It's going to really help. I'm like, okay, that's time number two. Maybe this is, maybe there's some validity here. Maybe I should do something. And then we go in the backyard to plant the second tree. And as I'm getting the wheelbarrow out, my dad's grabbing his tools to throw back in his truck. And the Holy Spirit tells me, this is your last opportunity. You and your dad have not fought at all while you've been working together. He's like, can you remember a last time that's happened? Answer is no, I can't. He's like, your dad is vulnerable. I didn't know why he was vulnerable. He just was. And he said, now is a good time to just forgive your dad for the things he's done and your past. And I said, okay, that's three times. He doesn't he doesn't say things more than once if it's not important in the Bible. So maybe I should just confront my dad and start talking to him. So I did. I went up and I talked to him and in my freedom I just told him, "Look, dad, I love you and I know that we've had some troubles in our past." I didn't start naming anything off. I just started loving on him and said, "It's okay." I forgive you of everything. So the Holy Spirit gave me the opportunity to do it for myself, kind of, to not only give him a blessing, but to give myself a blessing. And that's really when my walk and that freedom shot off. Like, if I was running a mile a day after that, after I forgave my dad, I probably could have run like 20 miles a day. Like it was shut what did off your dad say? That quickly. He started crying and said, thank you, son. I love you, too. And I think I've seen my dad cry maybe three times in my life. So I could tell 
that he truly felt the forgiveness and accepted it and wanted to give it back because he knew he was a good dad, much like you said from earlier, but that he had made a lot of mistakes and hadn't really let me grow in certain areas that I kind of wanted to grow in, one of them being music. And he knew he'd just done some of those things. And since I was extending the forgiveness, he was like, wow. Like, he just, he said, I really needed that. Thank you, son. Thank you for loving me. It was, I mean, in my walks thus far, it's been one of the most beautiful moments that Jesus has blessed me with, especially between me and my dad. Our relationship has not been the same sense and it's i mean it's just awesome so after that moment you just felt like you were really you really believed what the bible was saying about you and you just oh absolutely took off yeah i mean everything that wasn't clicking before such as the doubt in my head as to whether i was a son and worthy and righteous and those things that talks about in Romans, if I ever doubted it before, I did not doubt it afterwards. Because now I saw my earthly father as a loving and giving father, just like my heavenly father actually is, but I saw my heavenly father in that form all of a sudden. Because my relationship with my dad had all of a sudden changed. And it had gotten better. And so from that point, I just dug into the Bible. I I couldn't stop. I looked up leadership. I looked up sex. I looked up what it meant to lead a household. I I was finding all these key words in the Bible that I knew I wasn't following before, and I just went to that encyclopedic index. I looked up every verse I could find that had to deal with it, and I just started reading and praying, like constantly. I wanted to know as much as possible, not only to learn for myself, but if any of the other guys had questions at the church, like I wanted to be that person that could help them to at least find the information. Man, so this has been a journey of just seeing the lies of oh my goodness, yes. Not having value, seeing the all of this stuff that and now you're able to tell yourself the truth because it's the truth because Jesus has said it, right? That's right. Yes, that's my favorite part is no matter what somebody tells me, no matter what the world tries to do, I'm a son, I'm a son, I'm a son. Even if my wife's having feelings towards me, and especially my wife, because she's the closest person to me other than Jesus, right? So when she's having a bad day, and even she can take out something on me, and I'm like, it's not my fault, and it's okay. I'm just here to love her. She can say whatever she wants to me, and I'm a son, I'm a son, I'm a son, and I'm loved. And she does not fill my cup, Jesus does. So it's, I get to love her with that love instead of what I had before. And it's not to overuse the word love, but I love it. (laughs) I mean, that's what it's all about. Yes. 
I, I just finished listening to the first episode of this podcast last week, and Tyler says this thing, if the gospel doesn't make you more loving, you haven't heard it. And <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, it just sounds like... And so you're walking in confidence? Uh-huh. Like your view of yourself has changed? Tell me about that. Yes, and the biggest thing I can unfortunately kind of attribute it to is like work. I've been through so many jobs in my past, and I think God was attempting to teach me that my worth is not in my work by getting, allowing me to be fired from some of these jobs. So now, working as an electrician, the guys all around me, and they're not free in Jesus, so their circumstances can start to define them. They get grumpy, they get emotional, things aren't going their way, they just they get very angry whatever you fill in the blank with a negative emotion. And then they see me working and I've got a smile on my face and I'm either listening to Jesus music or a death to life podcast or something, just big old smile on my face. Like I know Jesus loves me cause he does. And they're like, what's wrong with you? I'm like I'm just over here working, being loved by Jesus. What are you up to? And they don't even know what to say. So like, dude, you're crazy. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty crazy. I know. <laughs> so it, they can see it in what I do and how I treat the builders and even the people at church, like my pastor Rodney, which I know you've met. He has told me that my my countenance or my body language has just drastically changed ever since about six months ago, which is around about that time. Praise the Lord, brother. Amen. I mean, Amen. It, I think I met you maybe a year ago. I, I'm trying to think. Is right before... Yeah. I think right before we left Kansas City. Uh-huh. Um, I think so. And we came down to your church. Yeah. And we were able to spend some time. Yeah, it was and awesome. And just seeing... Just seeing... You like your wife was obviously super excited, and I think <laughs> yes. you were. I don't know at what stage you were when we met, but I just don't think going I was from as there, excited because I didn't know what all of it meant yet. But it's just growing, right? Oh, absolutely, man! I I can't get enough of this stuff. It's like I've even noticed nothing against my pastor because he's an awesome pastor and I love him, but I'm getting fed more by the Holy Spirit than I do by almost anybody else, which is, I think, the way it's supposed to work. I think you're right. Yeah, I don't think, you know, a pastor's here to encourage and to exhort the saints. And Yeah, and, absolutely. And that's good, but our spiritual life is not based on our pastor or, no. our, or the, the church that we attend on a weekly basis. Right. Um, what we bring to that is what our spiritual life is about from what we're getting from yes, the Holy Spirit. Absolutely. And so then you go to church without expectations, but <laughs> except to, to love and to serve and to yes. encourage anybody that you might run into, right? Yes, that is always what I want to do, even when I show up 15 minutes late, <laughs> which happens a lot. <laughs> I'm like, who needs some loving? Let me add him. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Well, hey, man, you're an encouragement and a testimony to me um, from the stuff that you've been through until, and to now how you're able to love your wife 
and to um to just love people yeah I, and so yeah it's it's just beautiful to me man is is there anything if someone is has been in maybe your situation where their spouse gets it but they don't feel like they understand and and they're wondering why their spouse is so crazy about this thing what would you say to somebody who is in the same position you were after your wife had started just like the crazy depressed lady jadra now your <laughs> now your wife is at what would you say to someone who is struggling in that area um i think the the biggest word that comes to my head is just patience and i say that because if you're patient and you want this you will find it because mm-hmm. you will see that there's two people talking to you one the holy spirit whether it's just the holy spirit or the holy spirit through your wife or your your spouse whichever one and um there's another voice talking to you which will be the enemy and you will learn if you're looking for it how to discern those things to which one you want to listen to and it'll be the Holy Spirit, and if you just maintain that patience, you will find the love in all of it. I love it, man. Thanks so much for, for sharing. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on here, Richard. Got me singing like glory. Yeah, it got me telling my story. Know that your love is pouring on me. And love is pouring on me. River flowing in and never ends. More than life, more than me, more than just pretend. You can feel freedom from within. Free to fly, be the child that you always been. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. We would love it if you could share this so that people could hear uh, more of these stories. And a way you can do that is to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Give us a high rating. If if you give us less than a five star, I'm inclined to believe that you're not really rocking with us. So give us a five star rating and, and throw a comment in there. If you're going to talk about us on social media, go ahead and use the hashtag death to life and let's get that hashtag going. This podcast is a production of Love Reality. And if you want more information about Love Reality, go ahead and check us out at lovereality.org. This show's produced by Tyler Morrison and Katie Prusha. The sound and editing is done by Addison Collingsworth and Eddie Cornejo. And then the Johnny on the spot is Annabelle Harper. And the artwork is done by Felix Gassman. Thank you so much for listening. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Mm-hmm.